0: Uh, a number of years ago, I heard someone say, um, "I never met a nuance I didn't love." And uh, I, uh, when I first heard it, I thought, "I, I, I understand. I know what that's like." And uh, it's it's kind of part of the reason. It's part of the reason my sermons go so long, All right, Because I uh, start looking, I say, "Oh, that'll be interesting." Let's uh, just nick down that little road of trail for a bit. Um, juicy things tempt me when uh, I'm looking at it. Um, You know, I'm getting better at staying in my lane but every now and then I feel the need to divert off and off script and talk about something and that's kind of um, the way I've been made a bit. Um, One of the places that this happens really uh, frequently for me is when someone comes up and asks me to tell a a story about something that had happened and straight away, I don't know if this happens to you but my mind's flicking, right? I I flick through and I go all right, well, how, how, how far back do I go? Like, there's about 15 different feeder streams into that story and what happened. It's like, and, and inevitably, I end up going too far back and the story becomes really long. And sometimes people say, just tell me what happened. Just tell me what happened. Because uh, it gets bigger and longer. Um, this, this is probably not just common to me. That's probably common to most of us. It's like, what, how, how do I tell it? And what do I tell uh, I've been doing some writing lately, and anyone who does writing knows that starting something can be really hard. How, how, do, you, how do you start it? How do you start telling a story? The classic uh, line that's used for the start of stories is in the beginning. You go back to the beginning. That's what you do. Uh, so think about if you were one of the biographers, what we've got in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is four different biographies of Jesus historical biographies, how would you start? If you had to write one of those, how would you start? What would you say? Now, if you go through each of the four Gospels that we've got, there's four different ways that they start, four different places. Um, And I want to go through a couple of those with you uh, now. Um, Let's tuck in. Here's, Here's what Matthew writes. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how it opens. Matthew 1, verse 1. What's Matthew doing? Matthew's making it clear that uh, Jesus is a Jew and he's of the line of David. What does Mark do? Well, he starts in a place that's a little bit different. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about John the Baptist. So he kind of starts with John the Baptist, uh, Mark does. We go across to Luke. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Where's Luke starting? Well, he's starting with the conception of John the Baptist. Where would you start? Where would you start? Well... I want to say this to you, we're we're, uh, working through the uh, Gospel of John and John is going to go way back. That's what he's going to do. He's going to go way back. And this is, I think, why I'm going to really enjoy preaching the Gospel of John because it's like, yeah, John, take me right back. Take me right back and tell me all the little tributaries that flow into this river that is Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bibles, you can read along with me. I'm just going to read the first five verses of John chapter 1, or you can look at it on screen. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome (laughs) it. See what John's doing here? He's not criticizing Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but it's like, nope, not far enough back. Let's go back further. This story of Jesus goes way, way, way further back uh, than that. What John wants to tell you is he, he wants to tell you about the one who has existed from before the beginning. Now, the question about how humanity has gotten here is one that has uh, been on the human agenda for a long, long time. And what John is saying here is there was actually something before the beginning. Now, one of the, uh, the classic kind of theories that gets thrown around in our culture is the Big Bang. All right? Basically, you had nothing and something happened in the nothing and now you have everything. That's that's basically a summary of the argu- summary of the argument. This is the way. This is the way NASA puts it. This is on the NASA website. In 1927, an astronomer named Georges can't say his last name uh, had a big idea. He said that a very long time ago, the universe started just as just a single point. He said the universe stretched and expanded to get as big as it is now, and that it could keep on stretching interesting right um, you know what's interesting about it is uh, basically people trace the development of the theory of the Big Bang that all of a sudden there was a Big Bang and then the universe started expanding they trace it right back to this guy and this guy is a Catholic priest isn't that interesting it's interesting from a theistic point of view that the, the person who the Big Bang is traced back to doesn't actually disbelieve in God they actually believe in God but where we're left is we're left with this theory of the Big Bang in our culture and people promote it who actually don't believe in God. Interesting. Now, in some ways, uh, in a lot of ways, I think Christianity can agree with the Big Bang. We, It fits the biblical narrative. At, at one point in time there was nothing and then, boom, something happened and now we have everything. I mean, a lot of this theory is coming from the, the fact that uh, the planets and the universe is expanding. So here's, here's where we find ourselves. The universe is expanding. The scriptures talk about God flinging things into, into orbit and, and setting everything up out of nothing in a very short period of time. So we, we can agree with a bunch of uh, the Big Bang Theory, but... Um, Do we go with all of it, the way that it's talked about most often in science um, in our day? Well, we'd have a bit of an exception there, wouldn't we? (laughs) Because we don't think that there was just nothing and then all of a sudden something happened and then we have everything without there being a cause to it. And uh, just giving you just one apologetics argument, which I think is really helpful if you're having conversations with people along these sort of lines... And it's the cosmological argument. Uh, it's got three points. Here's the first point. Everything which begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Everyone agrees on that? The universe has a cause. Straightforward? So here's another way um, to put it. Um, John, in John chapter 1, tells us the cause of the universe. The reason this universe came into being, why did it come into being? It came into being through the person of Jesus. And, and I don't in any way mean to be irreverent, but if there was a big bang, Jesus is the big banger. <laughs> he's the one that made it happen. He's, he's the cause of it. You know, and what John's doing in his opening section of John chapter 1, he's going, Jesus is up to something new. He's up to some new Creation here. God's up to something. If you take um, John 1 and Genesis 1 and put them side by side and highlight thematic similarities, you, you, you see there's quite a few there. Let me read Genesis 1 verse 1 to 5, the first book of the Bible. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. In the beginning was the word, John chapter 1. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. In Genesis, God said, uh, spoke his word through Jesus and creation came into being. In the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus taking on flesh, God's going to do a new thing. There's a new creation that's coming about. Um, And this is what John's kind of wanting to plug us into. He doesn't want to just take us uh, back to John the Baptist or even Abraham or David. He wants to take us right back to the one who is the center of everything. And what you'll see in the rest of John chapter 1, or actually a good slice, maybe not the whole lot of John chapter 1, is like a good author who writes a prologue or an introduction and they summarise the themes that they're going to unpack for the rest of the book. That's what we see in John chapter 1. So let me give you the good news. We're going to be in John chapter 1 till Easter, pretty much, and not even make it to the end of it because it's really dense. But there'll be other parts in John where we'll pick up a bit more pace because it's a bit more narrative based. But here's the big idea, Um, this is the beginning, the beginning of the good news of the gospel, the beginning goes right back to the person of Jesus. Here's the second thing I want to throw you away today, have a look at verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, you can go down to 14, John brings up this title the word again and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth now slow down <laughs> you you will miss way too much of the gospel of John if you go too fast uh, you, you just need to slow down um, wh- what is John up to with this stuff about the word What what does John mean? What does he call Jesus the word? Is it logic? Is it rationality? And we look in the Old Testament and we see categories like revelation and power and deliverance that kind of run alongside God's word. And I think it certainly includes those things. But um, slow down for a moment and um, and consider this. God is a self-revealer. That's who God is. And God's self-revelation, his telling you about himself, is not just a thing that is, it's actually a function of his personhood. It's what persons do. They, they self-reveal. They talk about themselves and they listen to other people talking about themselves. Now, Some of you have been in uh, conversations with people who just like talking about themselves all the time in a really self-obsessive way um that that's not god (laughs) god's not like that but he does tell you about himself because the way that you do relationship with people is through self-revelation you tell them about yourself they tell you about themselves and you love each other all of those acts of love operate in the context of people revealing who they are to one another so god's telling you about himself is is done for the purpose of doing relationship with you. I remember, um, <laughs> I remember years ago, um, going to my uh, my grandparents' house, and uh, my dad my dad said to me on the way, it's just a bit of a warning. He just said, uh, "Nan and Pop actually haven't said a word to each other for three weeks. Just think it's probably helpful for you to know." <laughs> All right. It's, it's like dry ice in that house, right? That is a cold, cold place, right? Now, you're sitting there thinking about that. Uh, one of the things that you could be thinking is, well, that relationship's not going very well, is it? Because they're not even talking to one another. You see, talking to each other is what you do to do relationship. Talking about who you are and how you feel about things and the things that matter to you is the way that you do relationship. And as you, both people in a relationship do that, They intermingle and relationship happens. God reveals himself for the purpose of forming relationship. What is God's ultimate self-revelation? Well, it's Jesus. That's God's ultimate self-revelation. Jesus tells you about what God is like. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 18, further on in this chapter, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He's talking about himself. Jesus is the one who communicates what God is like. So if you, if you don't know God and you go, what is he even like? It's like, well, just read Jesus. Go and read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. That's how you find out what God is like. Well, how does he do it? Well, one of the ways that God reveals what he is like is through his actions. He does things. You can look at the things that he does and you can work out what he's like from what he does. But you know what the most powerful version of self-revelation is? Speech. The word. That's what it is. There is no more powerful method of self-disclosure than speaking. Hands down. Speaking first, daylight second. That's how it works. There are other ways you can do it, but that is the most powerful version. It's so personal. And you know what's uh, important about this is it's not just the information. Like if we looked at this and just went, in the beginning was the word and we just thought this is just information. It's data that we need to know. So that's not what it is. The word is a person. This is intensely personal to have done the beginning the word let's keep tracking have a look at verse four in him was life and the life was the light of men again slow down (laughs) slow down this is huge when john says that in jesus is life he is saying something special He's not saying that, that life exists outside of Jesus and that Jesus actually created it. He's not, he's not saying that. It's not like God, there's this entity out there somewhere that is life and somehow Jesus got a good piece of it. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying life is embodied in him as a person. Now, he's not dependent upon anything. Like We we don't get this because all of our lives basically are derivative. They come from something else. We came from our parents. We get energy from food. We get rest from sleep so that we can get up and do things again. We get stuff from somewhere else. That's how we operate. But not Jesus. He never has to get any stuff from anywhere. He just is filled with life, filled with life, he has life in himself, and all the life that you see, every skerrick of it, comes out of his pulsating life, everything, so you go out, there's some green grass, that's coming from Jesus. You see all the mice running across the road out in Western Queensland eating people's crops. Well, that life is from Jesus as well. You stand outside maybe after this and you, in a non-creepy way, just enjoy watching some kids having fun. <laughs> Exuberant fun. You going go, well, there you go. There's some more of the life of Jesus. You, I mean, it's starting to dry off a bit, but this place has been... Edenic, right? It's been a bit like Eden. It's so green and the plants are growing. We had way too many flying ants in our house last night. Is anyone with me? Yeah. Well, I'm not blaming Jesus for it, but that life, that abundance comes from him. I mean, you can just go through one thing after another. We have a two and a half acre empty block next to us and people put horses on it, right? And and they just get going sometimes. And, and uh, you can hear them. And they'll start right at the top. And they'll run really, really hard down the, down the hill and pull up about five meters from the fence. These massive big horses. And I just go, what are they, what are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing that for? And you know what they're doing that for? Because it's just exuberant life. And it's the way that God made them and horses are made to run. And what are they doing? Well, they've they run. That's what they do. That's really impressive. This is the nature of Jesus' life. It just overflows out. It's exuberant. It's effervescent. The reason why there is life in the world is because there's life in the Word. (laughs) That's That's why there's life in the world. And I want you to know this this morning, that life and God's presence are directly connected. Life and God's presence are directly connected. You go right back to the Garden of Eden, you read the story, it is a flourishing, fruitful, amazing place. Why? Because God's there. That's why. All life draws its life from him. Outside the garden, (laughs) Uh, not as much. Outside of the garden is, is death. Now, wherever Jesus is, life happens. Because he is life. People flourish. Here's what else we learn from uh, the early chapters of Genesis is separation from God is death. And you go, that's a bit harsh. You just go, well, it, it's, it just it, it has to be that way. <laughs> it's, it's like pulling the plug you toast a plug out of the PowerPoint, right? And you just, you pull it out and then you just go, I cannot work out why this doesn't work. <laughs> right? And people in your household are going, are you, do we need to call the ambulance and get this guy admitted? Guy's gone crazy. It's, it's obvious, right? If you take the plug of a toaster out of a PowerPoint, it won't work because it's meant to work by being plugged in. So if humanity turns away from God, the presence of God, the one who is life, you have to have death. Every time. And, and don't go, oh, is someone handing it out? It's like, no, not necessarily. You just left the thing that was life. And so the other, only other option for you is death. Death. Can't be any other way. This is life outside the garden. We live in a land where there's a whole bunch of death, right? When humanity turned from God, death was a result and it spread. More on this in a minute. (laughs) Think about this. In, In the place where death reigns, the place where people are enslaved, as Hebrew says, to the fear of death, what happens? Life turns up. Do you see that? You got Now, this is my job for the next 10 minutes. I want to stir you up because this is amazing. To be living in a land of death where death comes at you and you can be fearful of death and have the one who is life turn up, there is nothing better than that. Yeah. That is better than the best superhero movie you've ever seen, and it's true. That's what it is. And you've got to get in on it. It's got to do something to your hope. If if it doesn't do something to your hope, maybe you are dead, spiritually dead. And and I want to ask you this morning, have you lost hope in situations around you where death seems to reign? Have you? you? Do you want to flourish? Do you want to be filled with life? If you do, then you need to be connected to Jesus, the one who is life. Here's how um, C.S. Lewis puts it in New christianity If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prizes which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very centre of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not... You will remain dry. Listen to this. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? If you've got some death going on, you need more of the presence of Jesus. That's what you need. Because the presence of Jesus in the nooks and the crannies of your life brings about life. Why? Because that's what he is. <laughs> He's life. He's life. You know, in in some ways, I mean, it was great this morning hearing from Peter, right? But in another sense, we could go, yeah, you know, we've heard that stuff heaps of times before. That's not a surprise. Jesus gets into someone's life and life happens. Like, duh. And I don't mean that in any way. I think it's an amazing story that Peter told and We're amazed and we're thrilled by it, but you just better expect it. You better expect that if life is walking around, the dead people are going to come to life. Spiritually dead people and physically dead people. Don't you see that in the stories of Jesus? He goes up to lepers and he does the unthinkable. He touches them. And everyone collectively holds their breath and it's like, oh man, you've got to exclude yourself now because you're now unclean and you've, that, that guy got to you. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. When you are life, it's like you get to everyone else. Works in reverse. Life, the one who is life, came. <laughs> and he's, he, he hasn't gone. Well, he kind of did, but he, he's still here. We Get to that. Get to that. Here's number four. The one who is life is also light. Let me read it, verse 4 to 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at this. This is Genesis again. And you just go, yeah, that that makes sense. God created the world, and and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what does he do? Creates light. What's, what's John telling us a story about? He's telling us a story about the world where there's a whole bunch of darkness. And who's come into the world? The light. The light has come into the world. You know, as I mentioned before, you look in Genesis 1 verse 1 to 5, this darkness that was over the surface of the deep, this physical darkness became a spiritual darkness in Genesis chapter 3, didn't it? And, and the world got really, really dark. So you can expect that God is going to bring light into the world and dispel the darkness. That's just what he does. We see in John chapter 8 verse 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. John 9 verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, do you notice something? Have have a look at the tense in the last sentence in the John passage up there. For uh, the linguists. What uh, tense is it? Present, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Doesn't say the light shone in the darkness it's the light what shines in the darkness the light shines in the darkness well what's he talking about what kind of present tense are we talking about here is is john writing back in 25 ad where jesus is still around no he's not John is writing probably about 80 to 90 AD. Jesus is gone, the Holy Spirit's come. So when John says the light shines in the darkness, what's he saying? Well, it's still happening. It didn't end when Jesus went uh, ascended back to heaven. The Spirit came and the light is still shining in the darkness. Huh. Let me ask you this. Can you taste darkness? You know, when you read Genesis chapter 1, and it says in Genesis chapter 1 there, darkness is over the face of the deep. Do you just go, yeah, darkness is over me? Do you you have moments where it feels like darkness is suffocating you? Like it's this insatiable monster that's just going to swallow you up? The light shines in the darkness. (laughs) Maybe it's your family. Maybe you read too much of the news. That happens to me sometimes. I, I like to read the news and sometimes I get really impacted because it's like, man, there are some really creepy dark things out there. And we've been shocked over the last two or three days for many of you that you've heard about some really creepy stuff that's been happening in Brisbane. If you know what I'm talking about, I'm not going to go into it. It's creepy. It's 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 disgusting. You know, that, that women would have tattooed on them that they're the property of someone else and be abused like that. It's dark. Light shines in the darkness. Maybe you've got a, um, a struggle with ongoing um, temptation and, and you just kind of go, I can't. I can't. It's just going to get me. I can't, I can't stop. Now, there's lots of good health for these these matters that we're speaking of today, but um, if that's you, I want to say to you, light shines in the darkness. <laughs> light shines in the darkness. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Or there's a relational breakdown that's going on. Or you've got financial troubles. What would you add? Maybe, maybe we should do that. Maybe... Maybe we should just have a collective, you know, I'm not going to do it, but we count to three and it's like just say in a sentence what the darkness is, it's coming for you. And John wants you to know that Jesus is the light and he's going to shine and he is shining in the darkness. It's not even future tense, even though it is, it's present tense and future tense. If darkness is over the face of the deep for you, I want you to know it doesn't win. It never wins. Is anyone excited about that? Yes. It never wins. Imagine if I told you, I got up this morning, the start of this message and I said, well, look, uh, I've got some bad news for you. <clears throat> darkness wins. There's nothing we can do. Uh, it's, it's seriously, it's, it's, it's just going to get darker. It's going to win until eventually well, you die. How'd you go with that? How, how would you go if I got up and said, oh, you know that temptation that you've blown it and you just give into it all the time? That's going to get you in the end. You, you are not getting out of that in the end. You're going to be stuck in it and it's going it's to take you down and it's going to rub you into the carpet." You might as well give up. For me, with uh, philosophy, this is, I mean, we're kind of heading in the direction of nihilism, if you've heard of nihilism before. What would you do if this was true? If there was no hope? Well, you know what happens when humans have no hope? A life becomes unlivable. If darkness wins, if death ultimately wins. It's depressing. But I want to say to you, it doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't. Never has. It is. Never has. Never will. Never has, never will. It just feels like it. The light is, right now, present tense, shining in the darkness. now, We didn't set this up, Jordan, but uh, I actually have a video that I want to play, so I'm just flagging this about 90 seconds before I need it, so if you can find a way to get me audio, that would be great. We're just going to trim that out of the the online video, because we're very organised in this place, but um, do you know, uh, just get me, let me give you uh, one really practical um, way that this Works its way out. If you are joined to Jesus, you are a mini kind of light and you can go and shine in darkness. That's all you can do. You can stand against darkness and overcome darkness. Not because you're great in yourself, but you're connected to someone great and he makes you really shiny. It's a weird way to put it, but he does. He makes you really shiny. He makes you really, really bright. So where is Jesus calling you as you're connected to him? Where is he calling you to be a bright light? Where is he calling you to stand against darkness? Maybe he's calling you to step out in prayer. Maybe he's calling you to step up, stand up for injustice. And you know, maybe you're in a place where there's all these people that are just being selfish all the time. And do you know what we do, the, the lower parts of us, when we get in a place where everyone's being selfish, is like, well, I've got to get some of that for me too, otherwise it's all going to be gone. Well, that's just adding darkness to darkness, isn't it? Like if you're in that place, you need to, it can be complex and tricky sometimes, but you need to find a way... To not go dark, but to stay bright. If someone treats you really badly and they're really toxic to you, don't let them make you a toxic person, because that's what it's going to want to feel like to you. It's like I'm going to get them too, and all of a sudden you just got two toxic people. Don't do it. In the Amazing Spider-Man number two. So like that segue? In The Amazing Spider-Man number two, uh, Spider-Man tries to s- rescue, as I'm summarising very quickly, tries to rescue Gwen, um, the, the woman that he loves, and he ends up almost rescuing her, but she ends up snapping her, her back, her spine, and she dies instantly. And uh, Spider-Man decides that he's going to, in his remorse, he hangs up his boots and he just stops doing stuff and he's gone for about 5 months and uh, i want to show you the uh, the last the last scene of this movie <laughs> ah! Let's go! Move it! I'm here live on Park Avenue and 56th Street where it is complete chaos. A man in some sort of weaponized armored suit is wreaking havoc on Midtown. Good boy, huh? Is like scared of you, little boy? Hey, Spider-Man. come back? Yeah, thanks for stepping up for me. You're the bravest kid I've ever seen. I'm going to take care of this jerk. You go take care of your mom, okay? All right, get out of here. Go. Go. You'll fight me! You'll fight me now! people in New York City and real rhinos everywhere and I ask you to put your mechanized paws in the air. Never! I just so I kill you! I destroy you! If you want me to come down there so you can kill me? Yes! I'll be right there. Ah, there's no place like home. Backup. But it's even better than backup. It's, he's the lead light. He's the lead life. So what do you do? Well, you step out. That's what you do. Like the kid did. You step out and you be a light. Now, sometimes, maybe the worship team can come up now. Sometimes it's really complex to know how to shine well in darkness. And we'd love to help you. If there's some of that darkness that I've talked about that it's hard for you to navigate your way through, Yeah, let's get some help. But we're called the shine, aren't we? Connected to the one who shines, connected to the one who is life.